It's interesting because um, what we're really looking at here today is, it, I mean, it's relevant in the sense that it's about freedom and it's about retaining the freedom that Christ has given to us. And so the danger with the Corinthians was that they were going to lose that freedom, ironically, by exercising their freedoms beyond what would be wise. So Paul um, gives them really a history lesson. Perhaps you've heard the saying, if we fail to learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it. This is Paul's concern for the Corinthians. They seem to be oblivious to the fact that without moral effort or restraint, their faith could end up shipwrecked. They, they seem to have lost touch with that possibility. Now, remember the context. There are those in the Corinthian church who feel they can play with fire, so to speak, without getting burned. And it, again, the context is <clears throat> that they could <clears throat> uh, hang out in, associate with idolatry, hang out in the temples, associate with idolatry, uh, without being affected by it. Uh, this is what Paul is referring to here. And as we go further into the 10th chapter, it, it all comes back around to that. This is what Paul is referring to when he says in the 12th verse, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So if you think you're standing firm, in other words, he's saying to them, um, you think you're, you're invulnerable. You think that you don't have to worry about any of this. You think that you can just cavalierly go about your Christian life without any risk or danger. And he's reminding them to be careful. I love the way the message paraphrases it. Don't be naive and self-confident. You're not exempt from stumbling you could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. So this, this is the, the big lesson that he wants them to learn here. So in our text, Paul takes them back to the history of the children of Israel and shows how because they were slack in their spiritual responsibilities, they lost their privileges and many failed to reach 
their destination of the promised land. Paul is concerned that the Corinthians who are insisting on their rights and freedom may slide back into paganism and so fail to make real for themselves the full Christian inheritance that they have been promised. If Paul needed to strike a blow to his body, as he told us there at the end of the ninth chapter, if he needed to do that, uh, lest he find himself disqualified after having announced the message to others, the Corinthians must also do the same. So let's look at the history lesson here. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. This is so interesting that Paul uses this, um, the, this term ancestors. And the interesting thing about it is Paul is writing to a predominantly Gentile congregation. So a statement like this would be perfectly understandable if his, if his audience was Jewish because after all, they were literally the descendants of those that are being written about here. But here's the point that we don't wanna miss. They are our ancestors as well because Gentiles have been grafted in and made along with Israel the people of God. So this, this is part of Paul's message to uh, these Gentile churches, that they who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ and that they are now members of the household of God. And, and so for us, as we read this, we can think in those exact terms. The people of Israel are our ancestors as well because we've become the children of God through faith in Jesus and we have also become the children of Abraham. So we're full members of the family. You know, it's a funny thing, to, even today, I, I've seen this many times where I've seen Christian people get this idea that somehow Jewish people have a more special place with God. And I have seen Christian people who, longing to have that special place, have adopted Jewish kinds of ideas and practices. When I was, this just came to my mind, when I was living in London, there, were, there, there was a group of people that were, um, you know, they, they were a messianic congregation, meaning that they were, uh, you know, a church that, that wanted to do all things Jewish. And so they would, um, 
they would dress, they would put on the, the yarmulke, the little, the men would put on the cap, and the ladies would cover their head, and they would wear prayer shawls around and all of this, and uh, the, the problem was they were all English. They were not Jewish. And, and they would come, sometimes they would come to the church, you know, they would just come for a Bible study or something. And, and, and when they would greet you, they would always greet you in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. And they would not say Jesus Christ. They would only refer to Jesus with these Hebrew um, names. Yeshua, the Hebrew name for Jesus. Hamashiach, the Hebrew word for Messiah. And I have to tell you, that kind of annoyed me. <laughs> and so, you know, they would come on and press in with their Yeshua HaMashiach, and I would say, yes, yes, Jesus Christ, yes. That's, that's who we're worshiping here. That's what we're talking about here. And, you know, they wanted to insist that the Hebrew language was the pure language in the world and that you should never speak of Jesus as Jesus because that was Greek and all of this kooky kind of stuff. And, I, you know, I just would remind them, um, you know, the apostles, those guys were Jews. Did you know that? And they wrote the New Testament. And guess what language they wrote it in? They wrote it in Greek. They called Yeshua HaMashiach, they called him Jesus Christ. So if they did, we can do it too. But the point is this. They're, they have this misconception. They have this idea that, well, you know, as Gentiles, we're still a little bit out of the loop. We're, we're not quite fully in the family. Paul didn't think that. The New Testament doesn't teach that. We have been brought in. We are now members of the household of God. And I just thought in looking at this reference to our ancestors that it would be good to remind ourselves of that. And so he goes on and he says, our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. So again, Paul is referring back into the history and in Exodus chapter 17, you have the story where the people have just uh, passed through the Red Sea. They've just come out the other side. They're in the wilderness and they're about to die of thirst. And the people are crying out and they're, they're complaining that they're gonna die of thirst. And Moses goes to the Lord and inquires of him. And the Lord says to Moses, he says, um, stand by this rock and take the rod that is in your hand and smite the rock, strike it with your rod and water will come out and refresh the people. And that's exactly what happened. This same thing occurred later in their history. That happened at the beginning of their journey. Then at the end of their journey, before they crossed into the promised land, um, 
the same thing happened, slightly different circumstances, but the same thing happened. But here's the point. The point Paul is making is that the rock was Christ. The rock that accompanied them. So in other words, whenever that water came forth, Christ wasn't literally the rock, but he was the one who was accompanying them through their journey in the wilderness, and he was the one who provided the refreshing for them. Now, this passage right here, uh, speaking of Christ as being the spiritual rock that, that accompanied them, is packed full of wonderful things that we could spend the whole service unpacking, and I've actually done that in the past. But that's not our purpose today, but I just wanted to draw your attention to it. Uh, it again, it's part of the history lesson that the apostle is giving us here. And so, having said that, he then says in verse five, nevertheless, nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So this is, this is what Paul is getting to. That the things that happened with the Israelites in those things, in looking back over that history, there are lessons for us, the people of God today. And the lesson is that we would not set our hearts on evil things as they did. And then he goes on, do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So here, Paul is referring to what happened while Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the commandments from God. And this is recorded in Exodus chapter 32. And we don't have time to go into the details of this, but it might be a good thing, uh, you know, later today or, or throughout the week to go back and read over these portions. But he's warning about the idolatry. It's recorded there in the 32nd chapter. And maybe you, you remember the story where Moses had been up in the in the mountain for these 40 days and 40 nights, uh, the people were getting restless. They didn't know what was going on. So they went to Aaron, the brother of Moses, and they said, we don't know what happened to Moses. He's, he's been gone. And we don't know if he's even coming back. Make gods for us. Make gods for us. And Aaron, the brother of Moses, the man who has been designated as the priest, he says, okay, here's what we'll do. Give me all of your uh, jewelry. Give me all of your gold jewelry. And they took the earrings and the bracelets and all of that, and they melted them down, and they made a golden calf. 
And they set up this calf and Aaron said, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. And the people worshiped them. The very first commandment that was about to be delivered from the mountain was, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. So they fell into idolatry in the very beginning. And they, it says that um, they, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Revelry. So they had basically uh, an orgy there at the foot of Mount Sinai in the presence of this golden calf. And this brought a judgment upon them. Then the second thing he says in verse eight, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. And so now this is a reference to um, an event that's recorded in the book of Numbers, the 25th chapter, where um, the, the Moabites sent young, beautiful women into the Israelite camp to seduce them and to bring them into the worship of their gods. They seduced them sexually. And so... Paul says this, this is a lesson. And then he says, we should not test Christ or tempt Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. Numbers 21. This is a story there where the people were incessantly uh, complaining against the Lord and he sent serpents into the camp. And the ser serpents struck them and many died. And this is the place where Moses went to God and cried out to the people and God said, make a, a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole and whoever looks to it will be delivered from uh, the, the threat of death through the snake bite. And then in number 16 is the final reference where he says, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. And so over and over again in their journey in the wilderness, they grumbled, they complained. And this isn't just, you know, a bit of a bad attitude. They grumbled and complained. They wanted to kill Moses. They wanted to stone him. So this was this, this deep-seated resentment toward God. These are the things that Paul points back to and says were examples for us that we would not engage in these evil things. And so we have the examples and we have then the warning. So look at uh, verse 11, again, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So what are these examples of? These are examples of what can happen to saved people 
who choose to live in rebellion to God, to the God who purchased them with his own blood. See, this is what Paul wants them to understand. The Israelites were God's chosen people. They were baptized into Moses, just as the Corinthians and we are baptized into Christ. They ate the manna and drank from the rock who is Christ, just as we eat the bread, Christ's body, and drink the cup, Christ's blood. They, they did all of those things, but here it is. Yet they perished in the wilderness, never reaching the promised land. The warning is that the same thing could happen to us. That's the warning. That the same thing could happen to us if we were to choose a similar path to them. Sadly, I could tell you story after story where I have seen this happen. People who were baptized, people who partook of the bread and the cup, people who had seen God work in their lives and deliver them, but then carelessly began to dabble in dangerous things and often thought, I'm immune. I'm invulnerable. I, I, I'm not going to stumble. I'm not going to fall. I'm strong enough to engage in these things but they were wrong. They were naive. They deceived themselves. As I was thinking about this, and as I said, I could tell many stories, but one came to mind, one of the more tragic stories that I have witnessed. Many, many years ago, there, were, there was a group of, of young people, a group of surfers, and this, this group of kids had come to faith in Jesus and it was a beautiful thing that was happening. And uh, one of them actually owned a surf shop in the area where we lived. And, and they used to have regular morning Bible studies at the shop and all these kids would come in and worship Jesus. And, you know, it was just a beautiful thing. And several times they would invite me, would you come over and share with us? And, and you know, I was happy to do that. And it was... It was great, and I would watch their lives and see how God was blessing them and see how God was using them. And there was one of the young men that was extraordinary, stood out, um, just a very kind and gracious and humble, um, was uh, actually the, he was a professional surfer, and he was uh, um, very influential on his high school campus. So just this, you know, this beautiful thing. These kids that had come out of the mess of the world and had this new life in Christ. But something happened. 
as, as time went on, some outside influences came in. They got caught up in, in some pride. They, they started getting off into all of this philosophical kinds of stuff. And, you know, pretty soon they had taken the idea of the sovereignty of God and they'd taken it to such an extreme that they no longer believed that there was any human responsibility. They, they no longer thought themselves responsible for their spiritual well-being. They just thought, well, that's all up to God. And so they started dabbling in things and they started reintroducing things that they had previously left off. Saying, oh, well, we have freedom in Christ. And you know, God's responsible to take care of us and he's sovereign and this, this deception began to develop. And I watched this beautiful thing be destroyed right before my eyes. I watched marriages break up. I watched people go back into addiction. Out of that group, there was a suicide. And the most tragic was that beautiful young man that I mentioned who had so much influence on his campus. He became so spiritually disoriented through the influence of these extreme philosophies that he drifted back, not, not even drifted back because he wasn't so much a partier before because he was a professional surfer who was taking his sport seriously. But he got into drinking. He got into drinking excessively. And I would reach out to him and others would reach out to him at times. And I, I remember I went to see him. He worked at a surf shop and I you know, was able to have a conversation with him. And, and I was hopeful because I knew God had just touched him so deeply. I was hopeful that it would be just a matter of time before he turned around. And, you know, shortly after I, I paid that visit to him, I received word that he had died. And he died because he was in a drunken stupor at a party and he fell down from the top of his hotel balcony to the ground. And I remembered that as I was thinking through these things last night. And I look at that group and I think, you know, you, you could say the same things that Paul is saying about the Israelites. They passed through the waters. They drank, they, they ate the spiritual food. They drank the spiritual drink. But sadly, they turned to evil things that brought about their destruction. Now, some might say, 
well, that'll never happen to me. And I can tell you right now, nobody ever thought that would happen to them. No one in that group. You see, this is the danger. We don't think it can happen to us. You know, maybe you see somebody who you once knew was close to Jesus, walking with the Lord, serving him, and now they're so far from the Lord and you look and maybe you even know the details and you think, wow, that's horrible, but you know, that could never happen to me. Paul says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful. Be careful that you don't fall. You know, yesterday, my friends, uh, Dave and Raphael, who are staying with us right now, you've met Dave, he, he's from England and Roth's from Spain and we've been dear friends for many, many years. But anyway, we, we spent the day together yesterday and we just got into a conversation, um, maybe because of the passage here today, but we got into a conversation and ended up <clears throat> talking about people we know, people that we have actually served Jesus with side by side over the years throughout Europe and Britain, and different places in the world. We, we ended up talking about a handful of people that, that we know who thought they stood. They thought they were exempt, but they fell. And they, they are completely put on the shelf, disqualified, out of the ministry today. And they had powerful ministries. They had impactful ministries. They were being used by God in extraordinary ways. But it's all been undone. And so, don't be naive and self-confident. You're not exempt from stumbling. Now, verse 13 gives us truths that we need to know and promises that we need to stand on. Verse 13, here's a truth. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, the temptations that we undergo are the same temptations that everyone else undergoes. There's no temptation. And the word temptation, let me just let you know this. The word temptation and the word testing are the same Greek word and only the, the context tells you if it should be translated temptation, which is a solicitation to evil, or testing, which is like a trial, a, a prolonged a period of difficulty. But oftentimes a trial turns into a temptation because in a prolonged period of difficulty, we are then tempted to not trust God. We are tempted to then take things into our own hands or we are tempted to 
back off from our relationship with the Lord. But the thing that we need to know is that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So, sometimes a person is tempted to think that, well, my situation is extraordinary. My situation is different than anyone else's situation. Well, I fell because I was tested or tempted like no one has ever been tested or tempted. Not true. We're all tempted. We are all tested. Here's a promise. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he's faithful. Listen. He is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, let me clarify this. The problem here that Paul's addressing with the Corinthians was that this was self-induced temptation. Now, we're all going to be tempted. We're all going to be tested. We're all going to be tried. And there's, there's nothing we can do about much of that. God allows that. He allows it to develop character in us. He allows it to strengthen us. He allows us to go through experiences to see his uh, deliverance come through, to build up our faith, and then to enable us to help others when needed. But what we don't want to ever do is we don't want to tempt the Lord as the Israelites did. In other words, we don't want to put ourselves in a place of temptation. And that's what the Corinthians were doing, this, this particular group in the Corinthian church. By putting themselves in the idol's temple, they were putting themselves in a place where they shouldn't have. And so we have to be careful that we don't do that. That, that we don't tempt the Lord by putting ourselves in places, in circumstances, in relationships that make us vulnerable and could cause us to stumble. So God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You know, it's, it's verses like these. I don't know how many of you have this verse underlined in your Bible, but I've had this verse underlined in my Bible for decades because I've had to fall back on it. I've had to press into it because there have been times where I felt that the temptation was greater than I could bear. There have been times when I felt the testing was greater than I could bear and I was on the verge of despair thinking that I can't handle this. But this verse came along and reminded me that God does not give me anything that I cannot bear. So guess what? I can bear it. 
I can handle it by his grace, I will be able to. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. That's a truth. And here's then the promise. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way of escape that you may endure it. He will provide a way of escape. As we are in temptation at times without any fault of our own putting us there, we have to recognize that God has given us grace to endure. And he will make a way out. And there's different ways that this last part of the verse is translated. And the idea, though, is, is that God is going to get us through it. We can trust him. He's gonna give us the ability to endure. He's gonna give us a way out. Another translation is he will bring it to an end. He will, he will bring it to an end. Trials, testings, temptations, they, they don't go on indefinitely. They, they run their course. There is that, that point in time where God brings it to an end and we can count on that. But again, we want to be careful that we are not putting ourselves in a place to be tempted. And so the, the conclusion of the matter then for Paul to the Corinthians at this point is verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. And we conclude, or we can include every evil thing. It's not just idolatry. He mentioned sexual immorality. He mentioned tempting Christ. He mentioned the grumbling, the complaining, and those other things. And what is he saying? He's saying, flee from these things. Don't dabble with them. Don't play with fire thinking you won't get burned because the Proverbs ask this question, can a person bring fire to their bosom without getting burned? And guess what the answer to the question is? No, you can't. You will get burned. So flee idolatry. Flee evil things. Now, I said this in regard to the text last time where Paul mentioned his fear to be disqualified and I mentioned how some would see these passages, they're all connected, as a proof text for the possibility of losing one's salvation. And as I said previously, I don't believe that is possible. <clears throat> I do believe, though, that it's possible <clears throat> to have a saved soul and a wasted or even ruined life. 
there was a man named Alan Redpath who was a, a well-known uh, British pastor and author, pastored in the UK, came to the United States, pastored at Moody Church in Chicago. And he preached a sermon one time. And the sermon actually was partially his testimony. And the sermon was titled, Save Soul, Wasted Life. He had come to faith in Jesus, walked with God for a season, went back out and was doing whatever it was that he was doing. And one day found himself in a miserable state. And one day wandered back into a church service and he heard the preacher say, you can have a saved soul, but a wasted life. And he tells a story. I actually heard him preach this one time at a conference. He tells a story of how those words began to haunt him. And he, he said everywhere he went, the band was playing the same song. Saved soul, wasted life. Saved soul, wasted life. Saved soul, wasted life. Till finally he just couldn't handle it anymore. And he said, God forgive me. Surrendered to Jesus and never looked back. But it is a possibility. Don't let that happen. Flee those sinful habits like Joseph fled from the house of Potiphar when Potiphar's wife was seeking to seduce him. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, flee youthful desires. And I have discovered that my youthful desires are still with me, even though I'm old. So let's not fool ourselves into thinking that, oh, that, those, that, those, those kinds of warnings, those are for the young people, you know? They're youthful desires. Anybody who's lived a while, you realize, no, these things don't go away. The devil doesn't go away. The flesh is always gonna be the flesh. It'll never be. It'll never be until the resurrection, glorified and, and free from sin. That's why it must be put to death. That's why, as Paul said in Galatians, those that belong to Christ have crucified their flesh with the passions and the desires. And so flee those sinful habits and run to Jesus. Run to Jesus for help, forgiveness, and strength. Now, this is Paul's heart for them. And I love the way he, in verse 14, you can see the tone of his voice change. Therefore, my dear friends, He's giving them the strong warning, but then he comes back around and you see that he's giving them this warning because he loves them. He cares about them. Therefore, my dear friends, please flee 
idolatry and these evil things. And so these things happen to them as examples to us. The stories of the Israelites in the wilderness and and all of the things that befell them, all of those are written for us. They're history lessons so that we will learn not to do the things they did. God help us. God help us.